Um, my name is Tommy Jones. I'm the pastor here at this particular establishment. I am glad you are all here today. I, although I have to say, like, I felt like there was just kind of a little, kind of, like, let's get some energy real quick. Everyone just, just clap with me just for a second. That's good. Now, now maybe try like a woot or something like that. Woot, just your version of that. Woot, go ahead. Whatever your version of that is. Saran, you're not doing it. Woot. All right, good job. Whatever your version of woot is. Everyone should have, today's message is everyone should have their own version of woot. It's not today's message. Um, man, welcome back to our series on experiencing God. Um, our study, we're doing experiencing God study. And when I say that, I almost fall asleep because the word study is so boring to me. Like, I, I feel like calling this a study sort of cheapens everything we're doing. This is not a study. This is a movement. And God is moving through this. The Holy Spirit is moving through this study in a unique and mysterious way. There are cool things happening that we could not script. There are cool things happening that you could not get from a study. Let me share a few. You guys remember uh, before the Rona, we had average attendance in this place of one million people every Sunday. It was packed. It was probably like 800. Let's say 800. We'll call it 800. And after, after the Rona, you know, you, you, you lose a lot of your crowd, which is understandable because, and we have a lot of people online. So, I, and I'm so glad you're participating. I think that's awesome. And, and so, but we can only sort of count attendance in here. And so our attendance went from 800 to around 400 and change. So that, that was quite a dip. But we have 330 people doing Experiencing God. Of the people who are here, we have 330 people walking through it. And those are just the ones we know. There's always some outliers, some fringe elements that we don't know about. And so, that, guys, that's, that's amazing. Y'all remember I told you last week that the first Sunday we announced that we were investing $100,000 in local missions in this community, our, our offering that Sunday was three times larger than a normal Sunday, right? Last week, it was five times larger than a normal Sunday. Come on. What? I could not script that. If I could have scripted it, I would have done it a long time ago. I promise. Those things aren't scriptable. And not, I mean, we have people fasting. We have people praying. Oh, listen to this. I'm not going to share the name of the child, but, but my friend Mooney over there. Give it up for Deborah Mooney. Right? Deborah, put your hand out. Wave to everybody. She's got a woot. Guarantee you, Mooney's got a woot. She told me a story of, of a young man. I'm not going to say what grade. I'll say he was either in fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, just to make sure I'm complete. And he was reading uh, the Bible. And he read a version, uh, something about sin. And he actually realized that the trash talk he was doing on Fortnite was sin. We had a young boy convicted of sin because he read the Bible. You can't script that stuff, guys. That's the spirit. That's a movement of spirit. And I've been convicted of that same sin because I've talked a lot of trash on Fortnite. Probably to a fourth grader, but... It's cool, man. There's just there's stuff going on. There's groups forming. There's people meeting. There's life happening. The bride is alive, and it's a good time to be here. So I'm, I'm glad you're here today. And, and we've been moving towards something, and, and we're like becoming this thing that I've been talking about week after week after week. And it's found in Acts 2.42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to people who had a need. Every day they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate with glad and sincere hearts, and they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. 
that's so good. I had a friend of mine say, so are we all going to sell everything we own and move into a van together? And I was like, no, that's not the plan yet. <laughs> it's not the plan. But it's the spirit of this passage and what we're doing and the principles of this passage that apply to the church across time of being generous, of being united, of sharing, of taking care of people. This is what we do. This has always been like that great is thy faithfulness song is timeless. This is timeless truth. This is what the church exists to do in the world, to unify and glorify around the body of Christ. And it's happening. And we're not studying it. We're experiencing it in real time. And that, for me, is exciting. All right, let's put somebody on the spot. Can anyone tell me the memory verse from last week, the, verse from, the first verse from experiencing God? Just raise your hand if you can. I know one of you can. Don't be scared. Back there, Rachel, no. Who else? I'm going to stand here until somebody does it. Alicia, tell me the verse from last week. Saran just volunteered you. Saran. Yes, you hear? Give it up for Saran for being brave. Boo, Alicia, for not. Boo. That's the verse. I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, you don't have to memorize every single, just know what the verse said. And so this week we're moving to a new verse, okay? This is, this is part two. I suggest you pay attention this time because one of you is going to be called on next week. Here's our next verse. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's our verse for this week of experiencing God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. I've almost got this memorized already. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. All right, so when I first read this verse, I did what I always do when I first read something. I called Katie Neal, and I said, Katie, what part of speech is trust in that verse? Is Katie in here right now? Does anyone know what part of speech trust is in this verse? A verb, which means what? Action. So I said, all right. So then I hung up on her because that's what I do when I'm done with the conversation. Trust is action. That's a verb in this sentence. So remember that. that, that that's going to make more sense in a little bit. Then I called my brother Jeff. That's the second thing I do. Because Jeff and I are writing this sermon series together. Well, I'm writing it. He's just preaching what I've written. So, but we're doing this sermon series together. And so I called Jeff and I said, Jeff, is there a difference between faith and trust? And those are two words you hear a lot in the church, two words you read a lot in the Bible. So is there a difference between faith and trust? So as an example of this, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to put faith in me in a certain area of my life. So here, here's what I want to tell you. Okay. I am a good shot with a bow and arrow. Do you have faith in that? Raise your hand if you have faith. It's, raise your hand. Christy Meyer, you got faith. All right, now put this on the screen. Watch this. I want you guys to read this. Read this at, at your leisure, but kind of in a timely because we do have another gathering. Just Whatever. Everyone nod at me when you've read the whole thing. Okay, you've read it, right? Uh, Christy Meyer, would you vouch that this is probably true? So Christy vouches that this is true. Uh, who, who else knows about my bow hunting skills? Anyone else in here? Where, where's, is this Chelsea? This is probably true, isn't it? Chelsea says it's true too. So, so you've had several people vouch that this is true. Now, I'm telling you it's true. You've read it. So raise your hand and be honest. Raise your hand if you have reasonable faith that I am probably pretty good with a bow. Okay, keep, keep your hands up. Just. 
Okay, I want to see who had faith. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. All of you had faith that I am good with a bow. So hold, hold, just keep your hands up if you have faith. This is a legit broadhead. Okay. Now I've got another question for you. Keep it, who had faith in me? Who had faith in me? <laughs> Hannah, you have faith in me. Do you trust me? You'll put this apple on your head. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Faith and trust are two completely different things, but they're the same thing woven together. Like faith in me is believing that I'm good with a bow. Trust in me is the action accompanying the faith. If you believe in me, then it makes sense that you would put this apple on your head and let me shoot it off, right? So do you trust me that I'm good with a bow? Well, hold on, let, let me ask you a better one. If you won't let me shoot this, you don't trust me enough to shoot this apple off your head. Will you let me shoot it off your spouse's head? Some of y'all are too quick on that one, aren't you? So maybe you trust me and you have faith in me and you trust me in one area of your life, but you don't really trust me in that area. What about your kids? Would you ever trust me enough? Would you ever trust me enough to shoot this apple off the head of your child? If so, I'm reporting you to scan right now. Like, do not pass go, DHS. So you would say, even though you have faith in me, the few of you who participated, you trust me a little bit, but you don't trust me in all sorts of areas. So what about with God? How does this nonsense relate to God? To have faith in God, are we required to trust him? And are we required to trust him with our spouse and with our kids and with every area of our life? Or just, or just, if we have faith in God, should that mean something different? Should there be any area of your life where you're not willing to put an apple on your head when it comes to your faith in God? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I got from experiencing God this week and what I think you're gonna get is faith and trust must go together. And faith without trust may not really be faith. Listen to James. This is James chapter two and James is the stepbrother of Jesus. I got different daddies. I've told you all this. Jesus' daddy's God. James 2.14. What good is it, my brother and sister, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person, you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Okay, this, this passage, they're not using the word trust, but they're talking about an action associated with faith. And what James is not saying, and what I'm not saying is, that any sort of action saves you. Action doesn't save you. The blood of Jesus Christ saves you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, that free gift. But to accept that gift is to place faith in Christ. And if there is no action associated with my faith, if there is no trust associated with my faith, then I should be worried about that faith. Faith with Christ requires trust. They work together. That's the only conclusion 
that we can come to is that we must trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy. <laughs> that was funny to me. Why don't we trust him? Why don't you trust him? I bet if I was to ask you how many people in this room have faith, I would say 100%, well, 90% of you would raise your hand. Some of you won't raise your hands no matter what. But I, if I was to ask you if you had faith, matter of fact, shut your eyes. Everyone just shut your eyes. This way no one's looking. Raise your hand if you have faith. Great. All right, put your hands down. All right, now keep your eyes shut. Raise your hand if you trust God completely with every single area of your life. All right, put your hands down. Open your eyes. The first question I asked was darn near 100%. The second question I asked was around 30. Um, do you trust me with the math on that? I don't know. <laughs> but it was close. Do you trust God? And if not, why not? Why don't, if we have faith, why don't we trust him? And if I was to put it like, why don't you trust him in that area of your life? Do you trust him in that? Now, I know you trust him with the apple on your head. Do you trust him with the apple over here? Do you trust him with the apple? Do you trust him with the apple on your finances? Do you trust him with the apple in your marriage? Do you trust him with the apple in your job? Do you trust him with the apple in your spare time? Like, is there an area of your life where you won't let God shoot the apple off your head? Where are you not trusting him? And why aren't you trusting him there? I think for a lot of us, one of the reasons we don't trust him is because God didn't do what we wanted him to do. If we're honest, why don't I trust God? Because I prayed. And she didn't come back. And he wasn't healed. And it didn't happen. And I've still got this. And I can't shake this. And I still feel this. And I don't see it. We don't trust God because God didn't do what we wanted God to do. And, and I think God gets that. I was, we have a, a cat for some reason, and the cat's name is Snuggles, which makes this story even worse. Try being a grown man and go outside and call that hat Snuggles! My cat's name is Snuggles. Its nickname is Snuggy, Snug, whatever, that's his nick. So Snug one day got really, 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 really sick, and we thought he was going to die. And cats don't die with any sort of grace. It's loud, you know. So I thought Snuggy was going to die. As a matter of fact, I thought he was dead, like it was over. And so my daughter, Kenley, who loves Snuggy, comes to me and says, Dad, let's pray. Let's pray for Snuggy. And I said, okay. And so I'm praying, and I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, God, I know you've got a lot going on. But here I am with my cat prayer, my daughter, you know. And Kenley said, tell God to heal Snuggy. Because Snuggy still wasn't healed. And, and she, I said, what? She goes, make God heal Snuggy. And I said, Kenley, I, now I've got to teach you more. I said, I don't have a God that I can make do anything. I said, I can't make God heal Snuggy. And Kenley's response was, well, why do we want a God like that? Isn't that fair, though? Isn't that understandable? And if we're honest, haven't we probably at some point in our lives, the, why do I want a God like this? If you won't do what I'm telling you to do, what's the point? And I think for some of us, this is the reason we don't trust God. Because God didn't do what we wanted God to do. And if God's not doing what I want him to do over there, why would I trust him over here? And if God didn't, then why would I? 
The problem with that, with that line of thinking is God never said, I'm going to do everything you want me to do. And we should only not trust him if we catch him lying. But has he lied? As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus was tell, teaching us how to pray, when Jesus teaches us how to talk to his daddy in Matthew 6, this is what he says. He says, this then is how you should pray. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching people how to pray to God. He says, this is how you should pray. The first thing you should do is say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, holy. When, when you talk to God, the first thing you do is say, You are God and I am not, and your ways are greater than my ways, and, and I don't have your understanding in God. Your name is holy and perfect. And, and when you talk to God, that's how the conversation begins. Not God, I need you to do this for me now. You start by saying, God, hallowed is your name. And then you say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I love you, and you are bigger than me, and you, and you, you are wiser than me, and, and if you tell me to put the apple there, I'll put it there. I'm not happy about it, but your will be done, not mine. Who else prayed that prayer in the Bible? Anyone remember someone that was in a difficult time in their life, and they just looked at God the Father and said, not my will, but yours? That's, a, that's what Jesus Christ prayed in the garden. Not my will be done, but yours. And so you're right. You're right. You're right to not trust God if you think that trusting God hinges on God doing everything you want him to do. And when I say things like this, people often want to come back with this thing that says, well, well, God works everything for good. You're right, he does. He works everything for good for God. Or people say, well, God will give you anything you ask for. If you just have enough faith, God will give you anything you ask for. And that's true. God will give you whatever you ask for when the desires of your heart completely line up with the will of God. When you're asking for God's will to be done, God will always give you what you want. But God does not exist to do what we tell him to do. And it's hard to trust God sometimes because the offer from God is not come to me and I will put you in the center of my world. The offer of God is come to me and I will put me in the center of your world. You hear the difference? Guys, you got married because you thought that person was going to make you the center of their world. Imagine the first night you'd met. You're in a club, you're doing your thing, you know, you're doing whatever, and someone comes up to you and goes, hey, uh, I'll tell you what, let me holler at you, and I'll make me the center of your world. Would you trust that person? I'm going to be your everything. Not you're going to be my everything, I'm going to be your everything. But when God comes to us, the call is not, come to me, and I'm going to make you happy, and I'm going to give you everything you want, and I'm going to make you the center of the world. The call from God is, come to me, and I'm going to use you to fulfill my will, and I'm going to fulfill your life by allowing me to be the center of your life. And for some of us, that's a hard pill to swallow. And so for many people, we don't trust God. Because we don't believe that everything God is doing is going to make my life better. And if that's the reason you don't trust God, then that is fair. Because that is true. Everything he's doing might not make your life better today in the way you want it. But everything he's doing is right and everything he's doing is good. Maybe we don't trust God because there, there have been too many people telling us that God was going to give us everything we wanted whenever we wanted it. 
Maybe somewhere along the line, the church sort of lost our mind and we started telling people, you know, come to God and you're going to get health, wealth, and prosperity guaranteed. You give $100 in the offering today, you're going to have 5000 next week. Somewhere along the lines, maybe we gave people the wrong information. But the truth is, the story is about him. And so you don't need more evidence. You don't need more evidence about whether or not you can trust God. You just need to look at the evidence that already exists in a new way. You need to stop looking at the evidence of God with you in the center. Because if that's what you're doing, you're going to be disappointed. John 12, 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world for me will keep it for eternal life. That's good, man. He says if, if you are completely focused on yourself, you're going to at some point lose everything. But if you're completely focused on me, everything is what you're going to find. And we look for the evidence of God's activity in our life by answering every single prayer we ask God. Sometimes I think the greatest evidence of God is that he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. You ever heard this song? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. That's Garth Brooks twice last week too. I don't even like country. But really, isn't that some of the greatest evidence of God is that he didn't do what I wanted him to do the minute I... Who would you be married to right now if God had answered your prayers? Don't answer that. I mean, really, think about how different your life would be today. Or what I mean, God is, he knows what he's doing. And the evidence of God's existence and his power is not that he's given me everything I've wanted. We tend to measure God based on chariots and horses based on money and things and success. And, and did I get that? And was it, did this, this person healed? Did God answer this particular prayer in this way? And if that's the evidence you're looking for, you're looking for self-centered verification of a story that doesn't center around self. Amen. But if you, if you want to see God, you have to look at God-centered evidence. And as I begin to understand that God's role in this world, what he does in this world is not give me everything I want, but he uses me to satisfy his will, I can see God-centered evidence in my life. And I begin to see not what God is doing for me, but how God is working through me to fulfill his good and perfect will. And when that is happening, I see evidence. I get little pictures, little pieces of a puzzle. I get little joy, Joy, I'm okay, joy. Peace. Oh, there's some hope. Oh, man, there's love, real love. Wow, there's correction. That's an edge piece. There's purpose. There's purpose for my finances, purpose for my friendship, purpose for my calling, purpose for my pain purpose for the fact that I lost my leg, purpose, purpose, and I begin to put all these pieces together, and as I begin to assemble these pieces of evidence, the picture that I see is not a picture of me, it's a picture of Jesus Christ, because that's who the story's about, and when we get this, it completely sets us free to experience God in a brand new way. God does not need to reveal himself any more than he already does. The picture is clear. You just have to get out of the way so you can see it. So why don't you trust him? Has he lied? Has he lied to you about something? Is there one time when God has not been faithful to his word? 
John 6, says, no one can come to me, this is Jesus talking, unless the Father who sent them draws me to them. Do you know where you got the faith that you have? God gave it to you. The only reason you're in this room right now is because you have an ounce of faith that was given to you by God. God called you. He made you aware of him. You made a decision to accept, but God initiated. The only reason you're in this place right now is evidence that God loved you enough to initiate a relationship with you. God has given you the faith that you have. Will you use it? And if not... Why not? Why not? For the, for the 30% who raised their hand and, and said they were, they were trusting God in every single aspect of their lives, do you think if you and I were to sit down and have an hour-long conversation, we might find one where you're not fully trusting him? Possibly. For the 70%, why not? I don't have the answer to this question. The answer to this question can only be found in an abiding relationship with God and a movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's not my job to answer every question for you. It's my job to make you ask the question. And so today, as we close, right, y'all can come on up here. As we close, uh, I just want you to have an honest conversation with God about that area of your life where you say you have faith, but there is no trust. Ask him. First off, tell him. Tell him, say, God, I do not trust you in this area of my life. I don't trust you in this area of my life. And then tell him why. And then realize we can't study this trust into existence. This trust comes from experience. So as we close today, have a real conversation. Have a real conversation that I don't have the answer to. Tell him you don't trust him. Tell him why. And then ask for a movement of the Holy Spirit to such an extent in your life where you do, in fact, trust him with your entire life. Guys, if, if, if you're thinking there's five easy steps to trust in God, you are foolish. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit that will enable sons and daughters to live free. But you have to get out of the way so you can see the evidence that God is the center. Let me pray.